Sunday morning, and what I'm trying to do on Sunday morning is show you how these preachers in America are twisted the Word of God. They've distorted the truth. The reason they distort the truth is they don't slow down and pay real close attention to words. I noticed I was preaching on TV this morning. I watched some of it right before I left the house. I was preaching on little words, little words. Preachers don't even look at. I was preaching on and. I was preaching on after. And I can't remember some of the other words, and and after, and uh, the, the, and the list goes on and on because they've mistranslated a lot of the words. The reason they did this is because the translators, half of them, were Roman Catholic. Now I got an email from somebody and said. Uh, there were no Roman Catholics on the translating committee. Well, what you need to read is God's Secretaries by Adam Nicholson. It'll tell you about a half. They about six of the translators left. They had about fifty-one or fifty-two of them at the start, and then they had some that were either dismissed or walked away. And this will tell you about the translating committee from sixteen oh five to 1611 when they issued the King James Bible. Half of them were Roman Catholics. They did a tremendous amount of compromising. And I'm not going to go through these. You can get that that message I did this morning on TV and you'll see how they've twisted it. Now, we've got men today that are twisting the Word of God. The Baptists have twisted it. The Church of Christ are twisting it. Church of Christ say you got to be dipped in water by a Church of Christ preacher in order to go to heaven. Most of them don't know that Alexander Campbell, the reason they call Church of Christ Camelites, is that Alexander Campbell started the Church of Christ under the title of Disciples of Christ in the early 1800s. Now, I'm sure the Church of Christ is going to be Really proud to hear this. Alexander Campbell was baptized by a Baptist preacher in the Redstone Baptist Association in the early 1800s. But they said you had to be baptized by a Church of Christ preacher in water to go to heaven. Baptized don't mean to be dipped in water. It means to be covered with a stain or dye. He's washed us from our sins in his own blood. And now there's only one baptism, and that is blood. And that was a martyrdom or a death. Now, we're talking about, in this study, I've got specific things we're talking about. I gave everybody one of these papers. Do you all have this with you? And this, in this paper, I'm talking about the reason most people don't know what to do. They don't know what to do with the words. They don't know the words and what they mean. What you need is a Strong's exhaustive concordance and I've got several of them here this is a concordance most people that have one don't know how to use it every word in the King James Bible is listed alphabetically in this and you say what's the big deal about that can't we just 
look up the word. When you look up the word ordained in the Greek, in the Greek ordained, it has about 12 different words words in the Greek that have been translated to the word ordained. I don't have time to go through them. So you think you ought to look the word up? Yes. What you do is you look it up alphabetically and it'll give you every time starting with the first time the word is mentioned in the English in the Old Testament. And then it'll go all the way through how they're mentioned chronologically in the English and then it'll go into the New Testament, how they're listed in that. And then it'll be a number to the right of the word. And that number corresponds in the back. If it's an Old Testament word, it'll be in the Old Testament dictionary in the back. So you look at the Hebrew Chaldee dictionary. The reason it says Chaldee, that was Babylonian. And the Hebrew language is a derivative of the Chaldean language. So, if it's an Old Testament word, you look that number up, it'll tell you how to pronounce it. It'll have the word out there in the Hebrew. How to pronounce it, it'll start giving you the definition of it. If it's in the New Testament, it will give you a number. You look up the number in the New Testament, and you when you look that up, it'll give you how to pronounce it, how it's spelled, in the Greek, so you got to keep the two separate, the Greek from the Hebrew. New Testament and Greek, Old Testament, Hebrew. It'll, and sometimes it'll say, uh, this is the word, it'll say, like for instance, confess. And it'll say homo, H-O-M-O-L-O-G-E-O. And it'll say from, and it'll give you a number here. And from this number, and it'll tell you it's from homu, H-O-M-O-U, which means of the same, of the same, and logos. Logos is the Greek word word. So it'll tell you, and it'll give you the number on these. So you look them up, and you see the the construction of confess. If you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus confess doesn't mean to walk down the aisle and say one say one time I confess Jesus. Confess means to agree with. Well, if you agree with God, then you have to you agree with Him every day, but you agree with Him with your lifestyle. Now the Bible says in Titus one sixteen, some men profess that they know God. Profess. Now you're not going to know that this is the same word as confess if you don't either look it up in here or if you take a word study concordance. You can either get a word study concordance or get the get the uh, same thing in a more modern in a modern book. The word study concordances are hard to find. If you look up the word in in your Strong's, and then look the word up in this 
word study concordance it'll tell you every time that word is mentioned and how it's translated so if you can get something like the word study concordance and one other thing you can use if you get an interlinear bible interlinear it has the old testament and the hebrew which reads from right to left and then it has the Greek New Testament, which has the Greek, it'll have the Greek on the top line and the English right under it. But I don't trust the men who translated this English, so I look at that word and I study it with my word study books, looking it up in several places. And so I find out what that Greek word means, and I may differ with what they put under here. But that's the way you find out about these words. So these are things you need. Then once you get, what's the difference between the word study concordance, excuse me, what's the difference between the interlinear Bible and your Strong's Exhaustive Concordance? Let me tell you what the difference is. Strong's will give you one word. You've got, this is one of the way the words are set up. You have singular, plural, masculine, feminine, neuter, gender under the singular, masculine, feminine, neuter, gender under the plural, and then you've got the cases. This is where it is in a sentence. You've got nominative, genitive, dative, and accusative case. The nominative case has six ways to spell the nominative case. Let me just put the word the up there. I always do that. The. You got 24 ways to spell the in the New Testament. What difference does that make? It makes all the difference in the world. Uh, Mr. Strong will only give you nominative, masculine, singular. That's all you get out of the Strong's Concordance. But, genitive case shows possession. It shows possession. And the best, one of the best illustration, illustrations of that is baptism of repentance. Baptism of repentance, just the fact that that's genitive case A-N-C-E. Just the fact that it's genitive case shows. If you look up repentance, it'll say G-E-N. Where do you look this up? You look this up in a analytical lexicon. Here's one right here. I've got one by Mounts. I've got one by, by Wallace at home. I've got several of them at home. And this will... You look this up alphabetically, and it'll tell you what part of speech it is. It'll tell you where it is in the sentence. And then you've got the dative case. Well, the fact that baptism is of repentance, it's genitive case, means true baptism, you have to be repenting. Baptism is owned or belongs to repentance. That can't be water. It, just the case shows you it can't be water. Then you got dative case. That's the indirect object. 
And if you notice, you get all these different ways. In the nominative, you've got you got six ways to spell the in the nominative case. You got six ways to spell the in the genitive case. And then you got the dative case, which is the indirect object. That's not hard. If you can learn what a direct object and an indirect object and a predicate nominative is, you're going to know the structure of most sentences, most of them. A predicate nominative, I didn't learn this in college. I learned this somewhere about the ninth or tenth grade in high school. A predicate nominative. Nominative. That is something in the predicate that's equal to the subject. Jim is the pastor. And it always calls for a being verb. Jim, pastor, and Jim are the same thing. Jim is the subject. Pastor is the predicate nominative. It's, it's something in the predicate. The predicate is, is from the verb to the end of the sentence. Some people will call the verb the predicate, but some of them will call the whole thing. So predicate nominative means the pastor and Jim are the same thing. So, so that's what a predicate nominative is. If you can learn that and learn a direct object, you've got most sentences. Most of them you come across. It can get a little more complex, but a dative case is the indirect object. Indirect. This is not hard. Indirect object. Accusative case is the direct object. If you can figure out that direct object, you can figure out the indirect object because it's obvious. The direct object is Jim through the ball. The, the direct object always has an action noun, one that shows action. The direct object is what receives the action of the noun. Ball receives the action of through. That is, that is the direct object, the accusative case. If I said Jim threw the ball to John, or Jim threw John the ball, he didn't throw John. He threw the ball, which is the direct object. The indirect object is John. You learn the direct object, the indirect object, and the predicate nominative, and you're going to have most sentences. And that's, you know what that is? Eighth grade English in 1951. That's what it is. It's not something hard. Now, What's the big deal about that? Well, in John 14, John 14, Jesus said, I am the way. What he said when he said, I am the way, 
He said, I am he, that's feminine gender, singular. I am the feminine way. What did he mean? He was a female? No. He meant, he told the apostles, and the way you know. And one of them said, how can we know the feminine way? He said, I am the way that's in your heart. You're my wife. You're the foundation of the church. And I am the way that's in you. I am the narrow way that I have put in your heart. That's because it's feminine. How can you translate that into English? You can't unless you explain the after every word. Is it important to know this? Yeah. Now, I didn't mean to get into all of this. So if you're wondering what that's all about, Mr. in the interlinear Bible will give you all these ways to spell the word. Mr. Strong only gives you nominative case, masculine, singular. That's all he gives you. So to know what it actually is, you'll need one of these one of these dictionaries. Lexicon means dictionary. And along the way, I'll show you how to use that. It's not like Greek is that hard. How hard could it be when every five-year-old in the world was speaking a form of Greek 2,000 years ago? Huh? It's not as hard as you think. All right. And a lot of the seven- and eight-year-olds knew the part of speech and what it was. Now... I'm talking about why the charismatics are corrupting the Word of God. I believe with all my heart that the charismatic movement is the devil's message. When you twist the Word of God, you don't do away with it. You don't come up and say something that's ridiculous like, Cinderella died for your sins. That's not a lie. That's just a stupid statement. It's a fairy tale. You don't say that, and you don't say the seven dwarfs were the seven apostles. Nobody's going to believe that. What you've got to do is take the Word of God and reach it and twist it to convince people to be led away by this apostate doctrine. The Bible says at the end of time there will be of falling away, and I believe the falling away comes this way, that it comes by twisting the Word of God. Now what I've done, I've given you all this paper, and we've gone through a lot of the things where they twist the word, the charismatics. When you say charismatic, who are you talking about? The word charismatic comes from the word charis. Charis is the word grace. It means unmerited favor. That's what it means. They say they have been favored by God with some verses in the Bible that they twist and says they get to have money and things and stuff if they pray and they believe it with all their heart and they have faith that God's going to give it to them. So they say they've got special abilities to speak in tongues, to heal people, 
with faith. And I, what I've done is I've shown you how they're, what they're doing is they're lying. There's no such thing as faith healing. I use this illustration. It doesn't take a genius to figure this out. Faith healing is not true. Mainly because everybody who dies of old age, they, we call that natural causes. Everybody who dies of old age dies of a disease. Now, charismatic or Pentecostal charismatics will say, well, when I'm 30, I went to a Benny Hinn crusade and he healed me of my heart problems. Well, there ain't no doctors there. Let me tell you something he says that's so stupid. He says that uh, he get, used to get people down there in front and he'd whack them and wave his coat at them and they'd fall down. And he'd take somebody that said, this person has severe asthma. Now, I had asthmatic bronchitis for years in and out of the hospital. I can tell him about asthma. I've been on, I've had IVs in my arms, had bronchopneumonia, in and out of the hospital constantly. And he'll get somebody down and heal them of their asthma and of their bronchitis. And then he'll tell them to run up the aisle about 50 or 100 yards and run back. When I go to my doctor, he doesn't say, now, Jim, I want you to go outside, outside of the building, and run around the building and see if you're healed. <laughs> Dumb. I, the worst day I had, I could run 100 yards and back. Now I'd be going, <laughs> that's the worst day I'd have. I could always do that. That's not a criteria for finding out if you're healed of asthma. It's dumb. So the charismatics can be healed when they're 30, but when they get to be 85 or 90, they can't be healed anymore because they're dying. The proof that you're dying is these wrinkles and gray hair, and your insides are wearing out. Everybody here is dying right now. If you can be healed, your gray hair will go away. Your wrinkles will go away. You won't have to go back to the doctor for any heart problems or any asthma problems or any strokes if you can be healed. And what's amazing to me is the most famous faith healers, the most famous faith healer in the last hundred years was Oral Roberts. Now you can find out how he died by going online and Googling Oral Roberts, how did he die? He died of pneumonia. Why was it necessary to die of pneumonia? He was in his 90s. Why didn't he call Jesse Duplantis in or Benny Hinn to heal him? Because he couldn't be healed. He was too old. He was dying. <sighs> Kenneth Hagin is the man who brought positive confession to America. Hagin. He's got the Hagen Institute in Tulsa, the same town where that old Roberts has got old Roberts University. That is a pagan town in Tulsa. It is hellish because they've got those guys graduate from those schools and they go 20 miles outside of town or 10 miles outside of town and start another faith healing church. Then Jan Crouch the wife of Paul Crouch, who started TBN, the largest 
so-called Christian network in the world, she died of heart disease. Heart disease. And Kenneth Hagin died of heart disease. And Paul Crouch, who started TBN, died of heart disease. Why is it they didn't call one of their faith healers in and heal them? Because you can't be healed when you're 85 and 90 years old. That is nuts. It doesn't even take the Bible to see that. The Bible does not teach, and I've got it on this paper here. It does not teach faith healing. They say you can get what you want. And then I've got down to increasing faith down here on that third page or second page. The back side of the second page. Let's go to that second page. Increasing faith. We defined faith yet last week as faith is faith in Christ is death to self. I'm not going to go through that again. Death to self. The word demon, demonion, is self. I'm not going to go through that right now. I've, got, I've done so much on that. That's death to self. So if you believe God, you quit believing yourself and you, your faith is in God. Remember, faith and believe are the basic same word. I used to wonder when I was young, what does it mean to believe Christ? Even when I was believing Him, I didn't know what it meant. That's just as astounding to me. Has anybody ever questioned yourself as to what faith actually is? What is it to have faith in something? It's to believe in it, and believe is the verb form of faith. If it's a verb, it's something you do. He that doeth truth cometh to the light. If you're wrestling with truth and what it is, and you're trying to do it, and you got this fleshly thing in you, this outer man that serves the law of the flesh, and you have an argument going on with the inner man, and you're always fighting this outer man and what he wants to do, and the inner man is Christ in you, if you're having that wrestling match, that's what you're supposed to be doing. And that's the believing. It's your wrestling with doing truth. He that doeth truth cometh to the light over there in John the third chapter. He that doeth righteousness is righteous. Righteousness, D-I-K-A-I-O, S-U-N-E. Dikaya usune is a form of the word D-I-K-E, which is the word right. So if you're trying to do right, you're wrestling with that outer man that wants to tempt you to go and do wrong. You're always being tempted. Does anybody have that problem of being tempted to do wrong? Thank you. Everybody else quit lying. Okay? Everybody should be raising their head. We all have that problem. Now, what I'm going to do, they use these verses. Luke 17. Look at Luke 17. I've got it written down on paper. I'm just going to read it from my Bible. All right. Luke, the 17th chapter. I'm going to read it the way it's got it in the Bible. Now, Luke 17. 
these charismatics think when the Bible speaks of prosperity, it's talking about money. It's not. When John said to guys, I wish above all things I may as prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prosper, the word prospers you, hodos. You hodos is a construction of you and hodos. You means well. Hodos means way. It means the well way. You wouldn't have a well way if there wasn't a bad way. There's two ways, a narrow way, narrow, and a broad way. Only few find the narrow way, and they go to eternal life. The broad way, many go in thereat. Few go in the narrow way, narrow thelebo, thelebo, it comes from Thalipsis and Thalipsis and Thalibo are variations of the same word. Thalibo is a verb that means to crowd through a narrow opening, to have pressure on all sides. Thalipsis is the word tribulation. Paul said we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. So the well way there in 3 John 2 is the is the tribulation way. That's what Jesus is wishing. He said, I am the way. I am the hodos. And he said, there's these two ways, one and two. You'll either go in the broad way or you'll go into the tribulation way and you'll be going through tribulation. Tribulation is not an option to the believer. It is an exact requirement. We have to be going through tribulation for serving God. Now, look here in Luke 17. And verse 5. The apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. The word increase is prostithime. Pros. T-I-T-H-E-M-I. Pros means toward. Tithome means to lay toward, to lay toward us an increase. It actually means to place an additional, in addition to what we have. Jesus was always talking to the apostles saying, O ye of little faith. He says, your faith is oligos. That's little faith. Pistis. It's one word in the Greek. Oligos means puny faith. You have to add to your faith. So he tells them how to add to their faith. Now look here. The Lord said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. Now most people think that means faith as small as a grain of mustard seed. That's not what it's talking about. As a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree. Now, a sycamine tree was the same thing as a fig tree. It was a form of a fig. Fig. A fruit tree. Now, I've already told you that it was against Jewish law to kill a fruit tree. Fruit tree unless 
it was five year old, five years old, years old, or older, not bearing fruit. Now, I've got this written down here on this paper. You're going to find that in Deuteronomy 20. The last two verses of Deuteronomy 20 tells you if, a, if you're going into battle, Israel, you cannot cut trees down and use them some way to overcome your enemy. You can't use them as a battering ram. You can't use them, cut them down and use them to build uh, a bulk ward or some way to climb over the wall of your enemy. All fruit trees was considered the substance of man's life. You couldn't kill one unless it was five years older or older, not bearing fruit. Let me read on here. This will tell you how faith is increased. Do you think Jesus, it looks like if you don't know nothing about fruit trees, he was ignoring them. He wasn't ignoring them. He answers their question. So he says, uh, you can say to the sycamine tree, be plucked up by the root and be planted in the sea. The sea is very important. Every time it's talking about a Babylonian system, Babylonians, battle Babylon is always cast into the sea. Cast into the sea. You'll find that when the when the man of the Gadarenes in Matthew the eighth chapter, Mark the fifth chapter, fifth chapter, and Luke the eighth chapter. These are all about the man of the Gadarenes. In the eighth chapter in Mark, the fifth chapter, it'll say the swine ran down into the sea. And in Luke, the eighth chapter, it'll say they ran into the pit. Well, always Babylon is cast into the sea. It'll also, in Mark 11, 11, 23, will say, if you'll say to this mountain, mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea. And you see Babylon in Revelation the 18th chapter, sinking into the sea. And you'll see uh, in, in uh, Jeremiah, the, the 51st chapter, where Jeremiah takes, a, takes the book that he has written, gives it to a young prophet, and says, go to Babylon and throw this, tie a stone around this book, and cast it into the Euphrates, and it, it'll sink into the sea and tell the people there, announce, so shall Babylon sink. So anytime you see either demons running down into the sea, demons have to do with Babylon. Babylon was the mother of all harlots. Now we're not talking about, we're not talking about literal Babylon on the Euphrates River. Literal Babylon was founded in Genesis 11 and 4. Let me see here. 
but it is spiritually applied to us because of what Babylon was founded on. Let's see here. Babylon was founded on the Euphrates River, Genesis 11 and 4. And Babylon was founded on this premise, this precept. They said, let us build us a city and a tower and let us make us a name. Let us make us a name. That's their doctrine because tower there, tower is the word migdal, M-I-G-D-O-L. It means a pulpit. And this will be our doctrine that we preach. Let us make us a shem. So anytime you find man going after himself, the Bible says in Revelation 17 and 5 that Babylon was the mother. She birthed, she nurtured all idolatry. It says harlotry, but it means idolatry. It says harlotry. When you look up harlot, it will tell you it's the word pornea. And it means idolatry. So all idolatry in the world, no matter where you find it, if it's in the South Sea Islands and they're throwing some virgin into a volcano god to appease his rest so they can have crops in the spring, and that's what it was for. What's so funny, volcano was named... was named after Vulcan. Vulcan was the fire god in the ancient world. And they're appeasing the fire god in these volcanoes by giving one of their virgins to the volcano god. So they can have crops. The same thing they were doing in Israel, the same thing all of these pagans were doing, offering to the fire god, which was their fertility god. It's all the same. No matter where you find Buddhism, Islam, name it, Hinduism, Baptists that don't tell the truth, Charismatics and Pentecostals that don't tell the truth, it all comes out of, it's not a, there's no substitute for the truth. The truth is exact. It means what it says and says what it means. I've had people tell me, well, I read the ninth chapter of Romans when I was in these free will churches and I didn't know what it meant. I said it means what it says. It means exactly what it says that before Jacob had done and Esau had done any good or evil, God loved Jacob and hated Esau. And people just can't get that in their heads. They, I'm going to say this again. If you are trying to serve God in truth whether you believe predestination or not where do you think the desire to serve God in truth comes from didn't come from you 
because there's none that seeketh after God. It only comes from God. If God put it in your heart to serve Him in truth, that desire comes from God, and you'll have to change your mind somewhere along the way about predestination. Because the Bible says, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He be the firstborn among many brethren. That's Romans 8 and 29, and, that's, and it says what it means and means what it says. Now let's get back to this. So, he that doeth truth cometh to light. Remember, believe is the word P-I-S-T-E-U-O, and faith is the word P-I-S-T-I-S. P-I-S-T is the stem of the word. That's what the word is built on. Depending on where it is in the sentence, and the word ending will tell you whether it's a verb or a noun or a participle or whatever it is in this analytical lexicon. Now, let's go back to this. These, these are verses that people don't even know what they mean. But which of you, Jesus is fixing to answer their question, how to increase their faith. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet, and will rather, will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith we may sup and gird thyself and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him, and know not? Troll not means to know. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all these things, here's how your faith increases. Right here. You're doing what you're supposed to do when you're doing the will of God. That is your duty, not your... It's not a privilege where you deserve something from that. And say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. You don't take credit and glory for doing the will of God in your life. That's what you're supposed to do. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Don't say, somebody give me an award for doing what I'm supposed to do. Now, let's continue reading on this. I want us to go to Matthew 17. It's talking about this fig tree, Matthew 17. I've gone through this and never really finished it. Matthew 17. We're talking about faith increasing. Matthew, the 17th chapter. There's a man that came to Jesus in verse 50. Well, let's read 14. When they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Now, don't always believe everything you read in the Bible that somebody is saying that's not one of the apostles and not Jesus. You're not going to be able to believe this man because of what he says to Jesus. It don't mean what he says to Jesus is true. Because he said, my son is lunatic. Now, what doctor did he go to 
to have this boy examined to see if he was moonstruck. Lunatic comes to the word lunar. It means moon. Lunatic, moonstruck. Lunar is the word moon or luna. It means moonstruck. That's what a vampire was or that's what a werewolf was. Werewolves and vampires were around back then. That's not something that Bram Stoker invented when he wrote Dracula. Those were around 4,000 years ago in Israel. And they call that being moonstruck. Isn't that when you watch a vampire show and the guy goes out and a full moon all of a sudden he turns into a vampire? That's called, you know where that started? In the garden. The moonstruck has to do with Satan appearing as a serpent. They call that shape shifting. Any culture that you go into and they have shape shifting, you're talking about vampires or you're talking about werewolves. Now, if you're going to study werewolf, you have to learn the word lie can throw pee. Lycanthropy is the study of ancient werewolves. You remember the vampire, you can look up vampires in Hastings Encyclopedia of Religion. Just look up the take the B volume. Look up vampire. Tell you all about him. We're talking we're not talking about the movie Dracula. We're talking about going into the ancient world. A vampire in the Hastings will tell you that was a demon. Well, since we know demons aren't real, we know that is a fairy tale. And they'll say that vampires, the way you caught a vampire in the Hastings, they'll say, they had to catch it in a bottle. In a bottle. And they had to throw it into a fire. Into a fire. Or they had one other way of containing a vampire. They had to put it in a casket and put the casket into a stream of running water and that would keep the vampire at bay. Running water, according to the Bible, is living water And we've discovered that a vampire or that living water was the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to the one at the well, I'll, be, I'll give you living water and you'll never thirst again. So, living water is the Holy Spirit. That keeps self at bay. And if you put the vampire in a casket and put him in living water, he couldn't come out of his casket. We found that vampires were demons and the demon was self. And the way you keep self at bay is by the Holy Spirit. Notice how parallel and closely the truth is aligned with a lie. 
That's called a parallel gospel. A parallel gospel. And you have to sprinkle a vampire in these movies with holy water or living water. This thing runs parallel. There's no such thing as vampires. There's no such thing as demons. You can watch that horror show, but don't think it's true because it's not. The worst thing you could get involved with is some rich guy in town out here in a rich area on a deal. That's the worst thing you can do. They're the guys that will cheat you. Now, I don't know how I got off on this, but I did. All right. Got into it by Vulcan. If you want to know, I've done a lot on vampires. They were demons. If there's such thing as a demon, you've got to believe in vampires and werewolves. This guy said, my son is moonstruck. You actually believe Jesus believed that? If somebody says they're a vampire, do you think I'm going to believe them? What they got their imagination going? So he says, my son is lunatic. And sore vexed, for oftentimes he falleth in the fire, and often to the water. The American Indian danced around the fire, and they worshipped the rattlesnake, and they had the totem pole, which was the same thing as the tree goddess, and they worshipped their ancestors in the totem pole. If their ancestor was an otter, and it was on the totem pole, they never killed an otter. Or if it was in a if it was a deer, they never killed a deer. Or if it was a wolf, they didn't kill a wolf. Because that could be one of their ancestors. That's the same thing as Shintoism in Japan. They don't kill bugs or in the Hindus in India. A bug might be their great uncle. The same imagination. This man is involved in his imagination. When you're reading Notice who's doing the talking and who's doing the answering. Do you think Jesus said, yes, I'm sure you, your son is lunatic? He didn't believe that. What he would do was change the gender of a word or something. When the man in Luke 8 said, I got, all, I got legion in me. I got, all, I got at least 3,000 demons in me. And Jesus is going to believe that? No way in your life is he believing it. He was insane. The Bible says that man in Luke 8 was possessed with devils. Possessed with devils is a term in the ancient world. It's the word D-A-I-M-O-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I. When you look up possessed with devils, look up the P-volume in McLennan Strong and look up the very word possessed. It'll say possessed with devils. And it'll give you this word here and it'll tell you it means to be insane. So if this guy is insane or if the guy in Luke 8 is insane, you think Jesus is going to believe their words when they're talking to him? For the guy to say, I've got 3,000 demons in me Legion, which was 3,000 men in the Roman army, are up to 6,000. Do you think Jesus is believing him when he says that? 
the guy and where in the world did this guy go to some seminary to get his degree in demonology the guy that's doing the talking you got when you're reading notice who's talking and who they're talking to you think this guy's smart enough to know that he's got 3,000 demons in him but if you notice after Jesus cast the the spirits out of the swine. What was he doing with swine? He wanted to talk to them. Where was he? Living in the tombs. What was he doing? Screaming through the tombs and cutting himself all over? What was wrong with him? He was crazy. The Bible says, when the man came to his right mind, so for now. That's the word right mind. It means sane mind. So he was insane while all this was going on, and now he's sane. If you believe the Greek words on this, you can't believe in demons because Jesus didn't believe in them. He didn't even say, what is your name? That's what the English Bible says. He said, T, soy, esteen, Onoma. Onoma is the word name, but it's also authority. T is an interrogative. That is a question. What? Soy is a form of sum. Sum means fellowship. He said, what fellowship represents this authority that's going on inside of you. He didn't say, what is your name? He said, what represents? That's the word esteem. If he just said, what is, he would use a form of the word E-I-N-A-I. That's our word to be or is, he be, is, am, or was, were, those are all the big verbs. He didn't say that. He said, what represents this authority that you're fellowshipping with? The guy said, oh, on, I got 3,000 demons in me. And Jesus is going to believe that? The guy's not an authority on demons. He don't know nothing. Where did he get that from? The culture he lived in. Everybody said, if a guy had epilepsy and he fell on the floor, they said he had a demon. If a guy was melancholy and real sad, they said he had a demon. But demons in the first century, most of the demons were good demons. Did you know that Augustus Caesar was called a good demon in the first century? Most of the demons were good. They had good and bad demons. Same thing you see in a cartoon. You got a little devil on one shoulder. And you got a little angel with a halo over his head on another shoulder, whispering in the guy's ear. That's the inner and the outer man. That's what it is. And they don't even know they're doing that in a cartoon. And in the first century, most of the demons were good. So this guy's nuts. He's out of his mind. This guy here, he thinks by, by the culture he's lived in, his son is a lunatic. And he's not. Falling in the fire, the Indians said, American Indians said, if they're dancing around a fire and they fell into it, there was an evil spirit that put them in the fire. That's the same thing that's going on here. said, he's fallen in the fire and that was one of their ancestors that pushed him in the fire. 
And I brought and I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. The disciples were still children. They were young. They weren't old men. Get it out of your mind, these pictures you see, where Peter and James and John and all these guys are following Jesus, and they're a bunch of old men. And Jesus is 30, and they're all 65 and 70. How can they go out here in all the world? The apostles were kids. 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. That's why Jesus said, O ye of little oligos faith. Your faith is going to have to grow, apostles. They were kids, and he was older, and most men didn't live over 40 in the first century. So Jesus wasn't as young as you think, not according to their, not according to their time. Now, let's keep reading. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you, and how long shall I suffer you? Bring him here to me. He's calling his apostles faithless and perverted. They haven't grown yet. Peter's going, Peter had his foot in his mouth every day, didn't he? He had the cleanest leg in town. He's always saying, don't tell us you're going to go to Jerusalem, be crucified, resurrect again. Be it far from thee, Jesus. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Satan didn't mean he was the devil. Satan, Satan, means adversary. He said, you're being an adversary. I've got to go to Jerusalem, and I've got to die and resurrect the third day. Don't tell me that, Peter. Have you ever disagreed with Jesus? by the way you live. I said earlier, some men profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. It's what you do that you confess Christ. Confessing is doing. If you're a new person in Christ, somewhere along the way, you've got to start living for the Lord. God will beat you until you do. You can say, well, I've got all this self in me. I got all this orgay in me, so God wants me to have it. No, He doesn't. He wants you to learn to get rid of self, which is the demon, and the demon is you. When You can't say, God put me in the flesh, therefore I have the orgay, the desire to get even with people, so I'm supposed to do that. No, you're not. God's going to teach you to get rid of this outer man. I've found that getting angry with people is a waste of time. I'm, for as I'm concerned, I'm never going to be mad at anybody again. I'm never going to argue with anybody. That is the biggest waste of time. Well, you hadn't argued, Jim. I would argue with a fence post at 40 years old. You're not a fence post. Don't tell me. You look like a ball bat. I would argue with a post. I'm not going to do that anymore. You know, all that does is upset me and make me feel bad. makes me sick. I can pretend I'm arguing, get real loud up here, and that'll bother me. When you fight the world, it's the wrong way to deal with the world. Now, here's this guy imagining things. And Jesus rebuked the demonion. The problem was 
the boy, it could have been an 18-year-old. He could have, could have been a 20-year-old if his father was older. And he could have been, and he was saying, he's rebuking self in the boy. Demonion means to distribute fortunes. And he rebuked the devil and departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus' support and said, Why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your A-P-I-S-T-I-S. Apistis is the word I didn't believe. It means no, the operative in front of faith means no faith. The faith wasn't to cast out a demon. The faith was to lead him to Christ and let Christ cast out self. So he says, Then came the disciples, well, We could not cast him out. And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, For verily I say unto you, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, I've said this already so many times. What was a mountain? You can say to this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea. You've got two mountains in the Bible. You've got Babylon, was called a destroying mountain. And you've got Zion, which was God's eternal mountain. You look in in uh, look in Jeremiah the Jeremiah the fifty first chapter. This was the destruction of Babylon by the Persian Empire. You got you got various areas of Babylon being brought down. Babylon. You'll find Babylon being destroyed. And you got various accounts of it. You got it in the 50th chapter that begins to show the destruction of Babylon. You got the destruction by the Persians, by Cyrus. And to us, that would be Iran, Afghanistan. That's the area of the Persian Empire. That's where Cyrus was the king. You have it in Jeremiah 51 and 50. You also have it in Isaiah the very end of the 44th chapter, the beginning of the 45th chapter, and you also have it in Isaiah, the 13th chapter. These are stories of Babylon bringing down the Persian Empire. Now, I was getting to a point. If you will say unto this mountain, mountain, the Bible says in the 51st chapter of Jeremiah, Babylon is going to be brought down. You see Babylon brought down in Revelation, the 18th chapter. You see her burning with fire. We've already studied that if you look up Mount, M-O-U-N-T, in your M volume on McClinican Strong, it tells you that a mount... A mount was a capital city. 
A mountain was the same thing as heavens. It was the same thing as horns. When you look at the very end of the first chapter of Zechariah, Zechariah, the first chapter, look at the very end, it'll tell you four horns carried Israel into captivity. We know what the four horns were. It was Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. That was the four horns. You won't even have any idea what that means unless you find out what horns are, would you? you got to know what horns are. They're the same thing as heavens. When you look up heavens in, in McClellan and Strong, it'll tell you that was a governing body. That's why when the Bible speaks of the heavens, it's talking about Israel governing everybody else. When God gave his promise to Israel in Deuteronomy 28, 28, he says, If you're obedient to me, I'll fill up your fields, I'll fill up your wombs with healthy children, I'll fill up your storehouses, you'll go against your enemy one way, and they'll flee seven ways. Seven ways. That makes Israel the mount of God, the heavens, they're ruling everybody. That makes them the horns. But they gave up their power to whip everybody in the world. It didn't matter how many there were. At one time, Israel was 7,000 men, attacked 120,000 Syrians. And they just beat the tar out of them. They killed 100,000 of them. At one time, a half a million Israelites, half a million under Asa, attacked a million Ethiopians. That's kind of out of balance. And the Ethiopians had had 300 chariots of iron. That was with those sites. Nobody could beat 300 chariots of iron. But Israel did. They were the heavens. When you're studying, think this way. Israel was the heavens. They were the mount. And the Bible says Babylon was a proud mountain. Well, how were they proud? They said, let us make us a name. We will be our own authority. Name, Shem, means authority. So the reason Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome could beat Israel because you start in the 15th chapter, a 15th verse of the 28th chapter. And God says, if you don't obey me, I'll have somebody else become the heavens over you, and they'll come against you one way, and you'll flee seven ways. And I'll bring the sword upon you, and the famine, and the pestilence. I'll bring the burning hog. I'll bring disease of every kind upon you if you're disobedient to me. That's exactly why Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome became the heavens. Because they could. Because Israel disobeyed God and went after sun and tree worship, which is the same thing as Christmas. I don't know how to say all this without saying it. It's just... It's amazing, isn't it? Now, then he goes on and says, Jesus said unto the apostles, because of your unbelief, you're no faith. For verily I say unto you, if you will have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can say unto this mountain of Babylon, 
that's anything that is self is Babylon. Let us make us a name. Let us make up our own doctrine. That's what the charismatics have done. They've taken the word of God and twisted it all to pieces. Remove hence to yonder place and it shall be removed and nothing shall be impossible to you. Look at verse 21. Hereby this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. What does that mean? Prayer is the word prosukumai. What was it went out of the boy, self? Self goes out by prayer, pros, meaning toward. It's our word pro. It's not hard to remember. Pros is our word pro. If you are pro-life, you're for life. If you're pro-something, you're for it. And UK. UK means to will or desire. So it means to will or desire towards God. That'll get rid of self. And then it said fasting. There was only one fast in Israel. It was called Anah. Or Ani, A-N-I-Y. The fast of Israel was Isaiah 53. It's going to balance with self, getting rid of self. Oh, no. Not 53, Isaiah 58, excuse me. Look at the 58th chapter of Isaiah. Here's how self goes out. And this is, if you don't use the figurative language that Jesus used, you will never figure this out. Look at Isaiah 58. The Pharisees asked Jesus, why don't your apostles fast while you're here with them? He said, they, they've got me here. They don't need to fast. I'm here with them. And look at Isaiah 58. Here's the true fast. This was the fast on the Day of Atonement in Leviticus Leviticus the 16th chapter this is the fast it's the same thing the Ana or the Ani it means on the Day of Atonement they fasted but they didn't just give up food here's what they gave up same word here in Isaiah 58. All right. Isaiah 58. Starting here in, in verse 3. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Therefore have we afflicted our soul. That's what the Bible calls the fast on the Day of Atonement in Leviticus. Afflict the soul. It's the word ani. It means to level self, to bow to the will of God. That's how these this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. It don't mean give up food for self to go out. Give up self. Give up self. That's what the true fast is. To afflict the soul, and thou takest no knowledge, behold, in the day of your fast, 
you find pleasure, exact all your labors. Behold, you fast for strife. Well, uh, I gave up Brussels sprouts. Well, you don't even like Brussels sprouts. Well, I gave it up for Lent. I gave it up for the Lord. Behold, you fast for strife and debate. Batatsa means to quarrel and contend about who was the best at giving up food. That's not what it's talking about. And to smite with the fist of wickedness, you shall not fast as you do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. I'm fasting. I'm giving up. Have you ever heard of these charismatics that fast? They say, what time is it? You mean I got six more hours? I got to go? That's not fasting. You know what a fasting is? It's being so involved in something, you forget to eat. I used to do that when I was in real estate. It'd be three o'clock in the afternoon. And I'd and I was just so involved in that. I'd all of a sudden I said I hadn't eaten since yesterday morning, and I'd have to stop and make myself eat. You can get involved in fasting over food, over money, because I've done that. It is, is it such a fast that I have chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down? His head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him. Wilt thou call this a fast, an acceptable day of the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness in your life? To bow to God's will? That's the fast that drives out self. To undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that ye break every yoke. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry and not yourself? That's the true fast. And that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house when thou seest the naked that thou cover him. Pure religion, John, James one twenty seven says, Pure religion and undefiled before God the Father this. Pure threskia. You want to know what pure ritual is? Pure ritual is not Christmas. It's not Easter. It's not Halloween. It's not dipping people in water. It's not passing out crackers and grape juice. Here is pure ritual. Pure religion before God and the Father is this, that you visit the fatherless and the widow in their affliction. And the widow. That's not talking about going here and look, looking after the poor. That word father is the word O-R-P-H-A-N-O-S. We get the word orphan from that, but it means ones without a father. And widow is the word kira. It means one without a husband. It's talking about the church. One without a husband in and it says, in, in their affliction. They have to be going through affliction. The word is thalepsis, tribulation. To visit the church. 
our Jesus has come to us and said, I'm going away to my father's house and I'm going to build a place for you to live. That where I'm there you may be also. So that's what pure religion is. It's not some ritual. Pure ritual is a bit as the father and the witness. And that's the same thing as the fast. It's giving up self and giving up your time to do what's right for God. Where was I? Is it not to deal bread to the hungry? This is the true fast. That thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house when thou seest the naked, that you cover him. What are we covering with? With the Holy Spirit, with the truth. And if you find your brother in need, and you withhold your bowel compassions from him, it's talking about physical needs. How dwelleth the love of God in a man like that? If you're not concerned about the poor and the needy, something's wrong with you as a believer. That thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall bring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee, and the glory of the Lord shall be thy re-reward. A re-reward means he brings up the rear, and he leads the front too. Then shall thou call, and the Lord shall answer when you're fasting this way. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I, here I am. And if thou take away the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity, if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy thy afflicted soul, to afflict the soul meant to fast, meant to bow to God's will. Then shall thy light arise in obscurity, and thy darkness as the noonday. That's the fast. It's not giving up food. We're not supposed to overeat. But our true fast is giving up self, isn't it? Now, let's go back over here. How much time do I have, Mike? Oh. All right, let's go back to Matthew 13. We're going to see what faith is a grain of mustard seed is. It has a very simple meaning. People think if you have a little faith as a grain of mustard seed, mustard seed was the smallest of the domestic seeds in Israel. Where do you get that? Well, Adam McClendon and Strong. It's just one of the best sources of research of any book that's out there. Matthew 13. And look here in verse 31. Matthew thirteen thirty one, And another parable put he forth unto him, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And when indeed the least which is in least, it's the least of all seeds, it's supposed to be the size of about a grain of pepper. It's real small. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, it means as it grows. Mustard seed starts out very small, just like the apostles' faith. They had oligospistus, little faith. 
and a mustard seed will grow to 17, 18 feet high and becomes the greatest of herbs. And the birds loved the mustard seed. It was like a delicacy to them. They would eat it up and destroy it. But after it grows, the bird is a picture of sin that would come into your life and devour you when you got little faith. But when it grows, does faith have to increase? Yes. Look here. And becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof and it can't hurt the faith anymore because your faith is grown. Besides all this, give all diligence, add to your faith. Second Peter 1 and 5, and it names all these things. It says you've got to add virtue, which is manliness. You've got to add knowledge. That's learning the Word of God. If you want to grow in faith, it, you, you don't just grow by being around Christians. You've got to somehow take your Bible out and read it. You, you say, Jim, I can't ever learn all the things you know. I know that. You've got to study for 60 years to do that. But you can learn what you're supposed to learn. You're not supposed to learn what I've learned. You'll learn some things that I don't know. Some of you come to me and say, I was reading this. I say, that's interesting. Let me write that down. You can teach me some things as well as me teach you. Now, so a bird will come. Now, the next thing on the list that you've got there is Luke 13. Luke 13. See, these guys don't know anything about mustard seed or they don't know anything about trees. All right. Luke 13, verse 18. Luke 13. The charismatics say this means you can have what you want. You can say to the mountain of debt over there in the distance. It's talking about Babylon, the mountain of pride, or self. It's not talking about your debts. It's not talking about what you want in your life. It, the outer man, they're living in the outer man, saying, and they don't even have an inner man. I believe most of those charismatics are lying thieves. I believe that about Kenneth Copeland, Fred Price, T.D. Jakes. They're crooks. They're legal crooks. As far as the government's concerned, you can start you a church and worship doorknobs and take up offerings for doorknobs and buy all the doorknobs in the world, and that's legal, and you can get you a, a tax deferment on that just to have your... There's freedom of religion. That's why these senators will go after there's a guy named Grassley or Gravely or something like that out in Texas going after TBN and they can't nail them because they're being protected by the government they're stealing from the poor in the name of Jesus saying if you send your money to me you'll get rich if I send my money to you you'll get rich you liar that's not even what these things say all right, where was I? 13? Luke 13, verse 18. It says this several times. This is like a second, second witness. And said he, Unto what is the kingdom of heaven like? 
and whereunto shall I resemble it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when a man took and cast into his garden, it grew and waxed to a great tree. He says that so many times, and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it, and they didn't hurt it, but they would have devoured it when it was just a grain of mustard seed. When it was small as a grain of pepper. Now, look here in Mark. I don't have time to go into Mark 2. Look back over. How much time do I have? Ah, what can I go to? I'll go to this Mark 2. This is one of the favorite verses of the Charismatics. And they say, for some reason... They get their name in all of this. If you say to this mountain, be there removed and give your money to Kenneth Copeland, you'll have lots of money. That's just stupid. Those guys live like billionaires. All of them. You do know all the charismatics are part of the same system. It's Joyce Myers, T.D. Jakes. You can be anything and be a charismatic. You can be a Catholic and be a charismatic. You can be a Baptist. You can be, but you can't have any doctrine. They don't exchange their doctrine in that. Look at this. They say you got to send your money to them to get rich. Why can't I send my money to the poor to get rich? Instead of sending it to Kenneth Copeland Ministries. I don't like Kenneth Copeland. The guy's a con man. He's the same kind of con man Tony Robbins is. Tony Robbins is a con. I don't know if you know that, but he is. All right. There's a man here that's sick of the palsy in Mark 2. They use this. I've heard Kenneth Copeland use this more than anybody else. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days and was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them, and there was a big crowd crushing into the house. You couldn't get in. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, or the pressure, the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. They built flat roofs on their houses. Like so. What for? And they had a staircase going up the side. That was so they could go up here and put their their dried figs and their wheat and whatever they wanted to draw on top of the house. And they were, had little blocks, square blocks, as the roof. They took one of these tiles up to let the man down through the roof. Now here's what Kenneth Copeland says that they did. And when they could not come nigh to him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said He didn't say be healed. He said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Faith forgives sins. Kenneth Copeland said he received his healing. He didn't receive nothing. 
But there were certain of the scribes were the top of the Pharisee line. They were the doctors of the law because they memorized all the scriptures. Certain of the scribes sitting there reasoning in their hearts, why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? <clears throat> and immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned within themselves, why reason ye these things in your heart? He's talking to the Pharisees, looking right at them. And he says to them, the man didn't receive nothing. Jesus forgave their sins because of their faith. Whether it is easier to say unto the sick of the palsy, talking to the Pharisees, hey you, listen to me. Whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk, that you may know, who's he talking to? The scribes that you scribes may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sin, he turned to the sick and the palsy and said, Rise up and walk. Why did he heal the man? To prove who he was to the scribes. He didn't heal the man because of his faith, did he? The man didn't receive anything. He didn't receive his healing. Jesus saw their faith. And this is what Copeland says, well, he received his healing. He didn't receive anything. It's insane the way they take the scriptures and just twist them. Now you can receive your healing if you send your plant your seed faith. That is so stupid. Seed. Look over here in Luke the eighth chapter. Luke the eighth chapter. It's talking about these. It's talking about the the seeds that are planted in the earth. Now I'm going to read one verse to you. Verse 11. The parable is this. The seed is the word of God. When they say plant your seed faith. Send your dollars to this ministry. Seed is the word spur, sporos. When you spore, you spore seed as a farmer, you would go out there, you get your handful of it, and spread it. That's sporing seed. It comes from the word sperma. That's our word, sperm. It's masculine gender. The seed is the word of God. It's male. And it's a Bible and dollar bills are not masculine. So when you plant seed, you plant the word of God. You don't plant money. Takes the money to pay the bills, but that's between you and God, not between me and you. So they take these verses and twist them all to pieces and they come up and say, plant your seed and it'll multiply a hundredfold. I'll go into that next week. I don't like the charismatics. They rob the poor and give to the rich, which is themselves. 
They live high. I challenge you, has anybody gone online and look up their houses, look up Kenneth Copeland's house, T.D. Jake's house? All you got to do is look it up. They live in 15, 18, $20 million homes. They drive $300,000, $350,000 Bentleys and Rolls Royces. They're crooks. They're legal crooks, and the government is protecting them. And there ain't nothing you can do. It's kind of like being a Pharisee in the first century. You're a legal crook. Because the Pharisees were the government of Israel. They could do what they wanted, steal from the people. That's what the charismatics do. Somebody needs to tell on them. I'm willing to tell on them. They won't even say anything to each other. Do you know the charismatics... A lot of them believe you've got to speak in tongues to go to heaven. Church of Christ believe you've got to be dipped in water by a Church of Christ preacher to go to heaven. The apostolic Pentecostals and the United Pentecostals believe you've got to be dipped in water. And when you're dipped in water, you've got to say the words in the name of Jesus only. Otherwise, you're not saved. It's insane. And did you know that T.D. Jakes was a United Pentecostal? So by his doctrine, he doesn't believe Kenneth Copeland or Fred Price, or Jesse Duplantis is even saved by his doctrine as a United Pentecostal, but they don't discuss their doctrines on TV. You can be anything you want to be. The Roman Catholics believe you've got to eat the body of Jesus to go to heaven as a cannibal. It's The world is messed up. I don't like preachers. The worst enemies of Jesus was the preachers. Was The Pharisees were like a bunch of Baptist preachers with three-piece suits on. I'm out of time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Lord, I'm willing to say these things. I don't care what the cost is. If it costs my life, I'm willing to stand for it. Lord, I pray for the ministry that you'll cause this message to go out and hit a lot of people. You have an elect out there. We don't know where they are. Somehow show us how to get this message to them. Fight our battles. Lead us to your elect family. In Christ's name we pray, man. Well, I'll get through this and get on another subject here for long. Well, these are the truth if you learn it.